Good morning. I think this one's on. Very good. Turn that one that way. Uh, as just some uh, introductory uh, remarks before we get going, it's Palm Sunday, if you didn't notice. Uh, Holy Week's one of my favorite weeks. Um, in the bulletin, you have an, a separate foldout that has the scriptures readings in it, so please have that. Um, you'll notice that as we go through, we have the New Testament on the left and the corresponding Old Testament on the right, so that'll be helpful as we go through things today. Um, getting started here, uh, I think Eileen left off my full, my full title, probably because it was ridiculous. I understand, Eileen. Uh, the full title of today's uh, sermon is Evidence of the Bible. I'm sorry, Evidence of the Messiah. The Bible, it, the Bible is it, you must admit. You see the OJ thing I had going there? That yeah, was good. I understand why I took that off, Eileen. Um, so when Ray first reached out to me about preaching this week, uh, it was kind of a weird week for me. Uh, some of you may know I'm an attorney by trade, but I'm not a real attorney. I don't regularly go to court anymore. And so that particular week when Ray called me, I was in court. And it was a really interesting um, day that day. We had a hearing before a judge, and it was a criminal thing. And this, this uh, person I was working with was accused of doing something he shouldn't have done, right? It was some bad stuff. I won't go into it, but he shouldn't have done that, allegedly. And so we're going through that. And uh, witness upon witness goes up on the stand, right? And the, the prosecutor is asking that person questions. And and they're saying the things that they saw or the things that they observed or what they smelled or saw or, or what the person said to them or what they heard another person said, right? And we call that evidence, right? And so after all of the evidence uh, was heard, the judge made a decision, right? And the judge said that this person was going to go to prison for a very long time. The person's life was different, but that his life was different because of the evidence that we saw that day. So I was thinking about that when Ray called me and I had been reflecting upon another sermon that I had seen recently, and it was a, a pastor that went to a college campus to preach. And so he's preaching there uh, the gospel to the college campus, and some students are gathered around. And one person yells out, I'm never going to believe that. And the pastor says, well, well why? And it was because this college student, he wanted evidence. He wanted evidence that Jesus was real. And so he said, show me the birth certificate. I want the evidence, which we know is ridiculous, right? Like there was no birth certificates in Jesus' time. But I think the principle remains that they wanted the evidence. And so the pastor's response essentially was, we have it. It's called the scriptures and it's right here. And I'd like to talk to you about it. Well, I, I need not say this, this person didn't want to hear that evidence, but the point remains that people seek evidence. They're going to be looking for evidence, no matter what you're doing in your, in your life, whether it's in, in, their, in their walk with God or something that they're doing, we're all looking and observing. That's very, very important. So before we get into the scriptures today, I think it's important that we talk about on our next slide here, what is Palm Sunday? And I will start out with a story. Um, one time I had been attending church in one community and I moved back to another city. And so I was kind of going to different churches and I wasn't really paying attention. And it was Palm Sunday. And I showed up not really knowing what Palm Sunday was, and this church went all out. There was a processional, there were horns, they were throwing down palms, and I was like, what are you people doing? You're crazy. So in that case, let's talk about what Palm Sunday is. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. It was, his, it was the beginning of, his, of the end of his earthly uh, time here with us. It was the beginning of his, his last ministry in person, if you will. And so as they went into Jerusalem, we'll talk about what happened, but some people threw down palms, some people threw down clothing, and that was the processional of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So that's where we are today. So we'll get into the, the, the scripture here. 
I think you have it. Yeah, you have it in your packets there. And I'll just read through this, and then we're going to spend some time unpacking it. Um, When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, that being Jesus. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Take a pause before I keep reading. I think we all sometimes, at least I do, maybe you do, you fall into the trap of, we've read this scripture a lot. How many of you read this a dozen, a hundred times, right? Most of you raising your hands. I would encourage you as we go through it today, to think of yourself being there in that moment when this is happening. I think it really changes the feeling and the emotion. Uh, My wife and I have been going through the movie, The Chosen. We were talking last night. We see on the screen the passage that we've read hundreds of times, but to visualize it and see yourself there makes it feel, feel different. And so I'd encourage you to think of it through that context. All right, next section. When they brought him to Jesus, then they brought him to Jesus that being the donkey. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And they were saying, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest.'" And some of the Pharisees called out to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he draw near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Um, If you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity for us to spend time studying your word. Lord, just let it move, move upon us and show us your will and your guidance for us. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to kind of go through this section by section. Um, earlier, uh, the, se- the passage of Zechariah was read to you, and it was about this colt, this, this donkey that we now know Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And so I have both passages there for you. Uh, Chase read it for you earlier. But if you can imagine being, like I said, the person in Jerusalem on that day, and here comes this guy riding in on a donkey. And as we are about to find out and discuss, things start happening, right? But in that moment, there you are, you see him. I don't know about you. I hope that I would see that person on the donkey and go, hang on, libel moment. I've read this before. This might be the thing, right? This might be what the scripture told me about. And that's kind of step one in the journey. And so the next stage, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem 
and I uh, have the passage there in, in front of you from 2 Kings, and it says, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him and on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. And of course, this being um, about the appointing of a, of a king of Israel, right? But the, the ceremonial impact is the same. They're taking their clothes, they're throwing them down. And we see that happening when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Hopefully that's light bulb number two, if we were there that day. Oh gosh, look, they're doing the same thing that we know from the scriptures happens when someone is anointed king. I hope that they would have seen that. We, we know that that wasn't the case, but that would have been a second sign for them. Uh, next section, we, we'd learn about all of the disciples beginning to rejoice. And what did they say? They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Again, this is the third thing that we see in the passage because that comes from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I think if you can imagine that the Pharisees were there that day and like, man, bam, bam, bam. Real quick, we have these three things happening that we know are supposed to happen when the Messiah is coming, coming upon us but they don't see it. And when I say they don't see it, I mean they don't see the significance of it, but the scripture's not lost on them. I remember reading this section of Luke as a younger person, and, and this next part specifically always had me confused. It said, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So why do you think he did that? Why do you think they, ye they yelled, Dis discipline your disciples? Well, that's because they're doing all the things the Pharisees know you're supposed to do when the Messiah is coming, right? We have the cult. We have them yelling out Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have them treating Jesus like a king. We're laying down our clothes. They're laying down the palms. All of the ceremonial things happening around in that moment is what happens when the Messiah is coming. And that angers the Pharisees because this can't be the Messiah. Uh, we know from reading the scriptures, they've not really spent time with him, exploring him, studying with him. We know that that's not been happening, but they know that this can't be him. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So in that moment, the Pharisees are yelling out because they don't like what they're seeing. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I love this part. This is my favorite part. Jesus answers and says to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. That's another one that I've read in the past and kind of confused me like, okay, the stones are talking to you, Jesus. Thanks for telling me. Uh, but we know if we study the word that that's from Habakkuk. That was what Irene read to us earlier. Because in Habakkuk 2, he said, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed and establishes a city by inequity. So in that moment, I think the Pharisees they knew that they're getting scolded essentially back, right? Jesus says to them, this, they're going to do this. This is the appropriate conduct that they should be doing. I think that only further angers the Pharisees. And last on, on this section of scripture, Jesus weeps over the city. And we now know because history tells us why he was weeping, but he's weeping because he knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem, right? They're rejecting Christ and Christ knows what's happening. Um, as you know from your scripture, Jerusalem is going to fall. That passage we read earlier, the whole thing, there won't be one stone left. Jesus knew that, and he wept. And, and essentially, uh, that's cited in Isaiah when he said, he is despised and rejected by man, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And so that is the Palm Sunday account. I think there's a lot there, and it, it, I can't imagine what it would have been like. And so when we started out today, I'm talking about the evidence that we have, right? We're looking for the evidence. This, this was the evidence, and it's really clear. And the disciples knew it, and Jesus knew it, and the Pharisees rejected it. And, and, and this is essentially Jesus' fulfillment of God's Word. And if we think about the understanding of Scripture, it helps us to understand and know God and advance the gospel of the Lord. The Pharisees, they knew of the Scriptures. We know that they knew of the Scriptures because they would not have gotten mad when all of the scriptural things were happening in the passages today. But there's a, a sincere and, and unequivocal difference between knowing of the Scriptures and studying the Scriptures. There's a difference in knowing of the Scriptures and applying them and seeking God. Um, studying the Word is, of course, a lifelong pursuit. You can't just read that thing one time and be done, right? A number of you I know personally have read the Bible dozens of times, right? And, and you tell me that the more you read it, the more you learn, and you're always growing in your faith. But the Pharisees, again, they knew of the Scriptures, but they didn't want to apply them. And essentially, to me, it felt like they didn't want them to be true. The New Testament, just like we've done today, quotes the Old Testament in 34 out of 39 Old Testament books are quoted in Scripture. And so that's a significant number, right? 34 of 39 Old Testament books are quoted in the New Testament. I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm reading through Scripture and something seems a little odd. I'll just keep going because I don't understand it. But if you took the time to study it, you would see the connections and how all of this ties together and how we can share that with others. I got this new uh, Bible app on my phone. I think it was just a new update. But as you're reading through the Scripture, when it has one of these Old Testament references, you click the little link and it brings up the Old Testament connections. I thought that was really neat. and It helps me at least understand those connections. But, but I think more importantly, it's, it's important to know why those connections are important. If our understanding of Scripture helps us, it also helps us to spread the gospel. And, and that pastor I mentioned at the beginning, he's getting these questions, these difficult questions when he's out there spreading the gospel. If each of us is not equipped to handle those questions, then we'll miss that opportunity to spread God's Word. So next slide here. So what does this all mean for us? I think that our life should be different through our efforts to emulate Christ. Many of you have heard the words, be in the world but not of the world. You've all heard that before, right? Well, we can't be like Christ if we don't know who Christ is. We can't be like Christ if we don't study his word for us and then seek to know it and apply it. That's very important. I think so many times, in today's society, we have what I call the me statements. Uh, if you're someone, I call them the me statements. It, it's things like this. Well, I think this should be true, or this is my truth, or what I think. And I don't say that to demean you having a thought. I don't mean that. What I mean is when, when, we're, when we're speaking, especially when we're trying to help others and guide them, our, our, our conversation should be more along the lines of, well, Scripture says this, or Scripture says that. I think that protects us from twisting His Word 
and misapplying it. Um, my wife and I have those conversations all the time about the, uh, the, the, those commas and, and those half a sentence Bible verses, you know them, where someone uses a scripture in the wrong way. It's not even close to true, right? But they have that one little thing, and that's what they're going to hold on to. And if we don't have a good base in the word, we can't have that conversation with them. Along those same lines, if we don't have that good understanding of scripture and we're not studying it regularly, we sometimes will fill in the gaps based off our own understanding. If we don't know something, we'll Maybe we know the beginning and and step three and seven and 25, and we just fill in in between with what we think the answer should be instead of looking to the word and seeing what the scripture is for us. I think that's dangerous. Um, I had a friend one time that visited a church, and the preacher gave a great message. It was a great message, a Bible-centered message, and he he gives the message. And afterwards, the friend says to me, well, I was kind of confused and I didn't know what he was talking about. And I kind of took a pause for a moment, and I'm like, man, what? And it dawned on me that that person was, was missing the connections. And that's, uh, that kind of thing happens. I'm not putting that moment, that situation down, but they missed the connections because their Bible base was not sufficient. They hadn't been studying the Word. They wanted the preacher just to give them the Word. How many of you have relied on a pastor to do that? The pastor is there to teach you, but he's not there to spoon-feed you the Word and to spoon-feed you everything that you should know in your walk with Christ. And I think that's really uh, really prevalent in today's society. And at Sunday school, a few weeks ago, we talked about it, and I'm the most guilty of them all. I'll say something like this, hey, you should come to church with me. And what, essentially what that means is, hey, you should come to let my preacher tell you about Jesus because I won't do it here and I won't share the scriptures with you. I'll just let the preacher do that. That's his job. Thank you. That's what I've been doing. And I catch myself doing it. And a couple weeks ago, like I said, I mentioned that in Sunday school. And lo and behold, the next day I did it again. I felt so terrible. Something happens in this person's life and they're sharing it with me. And I just defaulted to, man, you, you got to get in church. You, you have to get in church just to be helpful for you. And I missed the moment. What should have happened is I should have had my scripture knowledge with me. I should have had God's word with me. And that person has that thing happen And I say, oh, well, the scripture says here, and this is the guidance that you need in your life. And I missed that moment because I wanted to put off sharing the gospel with someone else because it made it more comfortable for me. So next slide here. Gosh, this guy's good. You're Johnny on the spot with the slides back there, man. Got to give that guy a raise. Double or triple, we're paying him. We're not paying him anything. It's a joke. I'm kidding. Okay, so we have to know and have a relationship with Christ if we want to strive to be like Christ. I'm going to say it again. We have to know and have a relationship with Christ if we want to strive to be like Christ. So three things that I took from this Palm Sunday scripture. The first thing was that Jesus knew scripture. He knew the scripture and and he shared that with everyone, which makes sense because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. So he kind of had a head start on us. That's fair. But nonetheless, we should seek to be like him and know the Bible and share the scriptures with others. You know, we have friends and family and children and random people on the street that God wants us to minister to, and we have to be prepared and equipped to do that. The second thing that hit upon me in that scripture was Jesus spoke the truth boldly. Uh, I was reminded when I was preparing for the sermon today of a story that I heard once where uh, there was a 
prominent atheist who was being interviewed uh, by someone. And the person said, hey, does it bother you that these Christian people essentially go out and share the scriptures with others? They're sharing the gospel. Does it bother you when they share it with you? And a number of you may have heard this story. And the atheist kind of thought for a second and he said, no. And I think that kind of caught the interviewer kind of off guard. And she said, well, tell me why. And essentially he said, if this Christian believes the gospel, if they believe the word of God, then what does that mean for them? It means that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one shall inherit the kingdom of God without him. That's a pretty big thing. And so the atheist goes on to say, if they know that, and that's the way that you have salvation and you make it to heaven and have a relationship with God, and they know that, and they don't share that with me, what does that say about their love for me? What does that mean if you have this beautiful, amazing thing, this, the gospel, right? You have it, and you don't share it with someone. And I was like, oh man, even the atheist gets it, and sometimes we don't. And so I think there are obviously reasons why we don't share the gospel with others. Can, you could probably think of some reasons why you don't share the gospel with others. Can anyone, seriously, just yell one out. Give me a reason. Anybody? Fear? I love that. Okay, anybody else? Pushback. Pushback, my favorite one. I'm glad you said that. Um, you, you have this idea of, man, what, what are they going to say to me? What, my, my fear, or if they're not going to like it, what are they going to say back? And I would say to you that you shouldn't sacrifice God and the message of the gospel at the convenience of feeling comfortable. You shouldn't sacrifice the gospel and the message of Christ at the convenience of getting along with everyone. You shouldn't sacrifice the gospel of the Lord because it makes you feel uncomfortable or it makes someone else feel uncomfortable. Because even the atheist had it right. This is the most important thing you can tell people. And if you don't tell them, what does that mean about, about us, about you as a person, if you're not sharing that message. In Sunday school, we've been kind of going over these themes from time to time. And so I've been trying, trying to work on it. And I, sometimes I've done a good job. And sometimes the last couple months, I've done a bad job. But I would agree with both of the things that you all just said. The reasons that I don't do it in that moment is, what are the consequences going to be? What's that going to look like for me if I don't share it in this moment? Well, if I do, then I might feel uncomfortable. Or maybe I'm at work and I get in trouble. Or I get written up. Okay, amen. The Lord said that would happen, right? He said that we would be persecuted on his behalf. And, and, and quite frankly, that's okay. And so before I go to my next point here, I would say that that distinction of being bold is because you know God. And there's a distinguish there, just like on the scripture I said a moment ago, between knowing of God and knowing God. Knowing of God means I know he exists and he's there. And for some of us, we'll keep him at arm's length. That's about as close as we want to get in our relationship with God is we know that he's there. And when we get in trouble, we know that there's this book. I think it's in the, it's in the pews here. It's called the Bible. And when we get in trouble, we can read it. But if we're not in trouble, it's kind of inconvenient, right? You have to read it every day and study it. And it's just terrible, right? That's what I think sometimes we get caught in that habit. But if you actually know God and want to have a relationship, then we have to have the relationship. We have to spend our time in his word. My third point on this screen is Jesus sought his father's will. Jesus sought his father's will. So in this moment, he's engaging with the Pharisees, right? And he knows where we're going with this. This has been uh, part of what he knew was going to happen. But he's still seeking what his father would have of him. 
Meanwhile, we have the Pharisees, and they are really seeking their own understanding. They're seeking, essentially, in my how I view it, to, to worship the law. They want to worship the rules, but not be mindful of what the Bible was telling us to, what the scriptures were pointing us to. Can you imagine how that must have felt when you're in that moment and you're the Pharisee and you're, you're disciplining and rebuking the Lord Jesus Christ? And you are, quite frankly, one of the most learned scholars in the scriptures at that time. You know all of this, and you're so blinded that you don't see it. You're so blinded that you don't apply what your father's will was. And I think that's dangerous, and we all can fall in that trap. And so when we're seeking the father's will, we should also be mindful of what we should not seek. Because if we get caught up in that trap, that's how we get taken away from the Lord. So in all reality, what do you seek? What do I seek? What do, what do we as a church seek? And individually as people, what do we seek? Are we seeking to get along with people? Are we seeking for the community to like us? Um, are we seeking for people to think, oh, we're really nice people. They never offend me. They don't, they don't have many times have you heard this. They don't push that Jesus stuff on me. You've probably heard that before, right? Oh, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, but I won't push it on you. Oh, man, you have the greatest news of all time. It's kind of our obligation to share that with others. All right, as we're wrapping up here, we'll have the music folks get ready to come back up here. So my last thing I'll share with you on Palm Sunday is what do you need to do in your life to go closer to God? Because what you are doing shows what you prioritize. It shows what you seek. And essentially what you are doing is your evidence of your relationship with God. What you do on a daily basis, on an hour basis, is your evidence of if you have a relationship with God, if you're seeking God, or if you're okay with God just being at arm's length. So uh, this is Holy Week, and we look forward to next Sunday, which is Easter, to celebrate Christ's resurrection for our life. But I would encourage you this week to spend some time thinking and getting ready for Easter, getting ready for your relationship with God and how you can be equipped to spread his message with others. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the day, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity for us to go through your word together. Lord, we would just ask that you would move our hearts to grow closer to you. You'd move our hearts to overcome fear in sharing your words with others, because we know that it is the most important thing that we can share with them. It's, it's, not, it's not bread, it's not food, it's not drink, it's not money, it's not possessions. Lord, we know that your word is the most important thing that we can share with others. So give us the opportunity to share your word, Lord, and let us grow in what you would have us do. In your name we pray, amen.